Spoke Media. Hello. Hello. Oh, hey. Hello. Hey. Hey, Reverend Yoder. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Janelle? I'm well. I still have. Hey, everybody. Well, I plan a funeral with Reverend Yoder and get ready for this big finale, which culminates four years of the grieving process by way of the creative process. No pressure whatsoever. In the meantime, we are going to figure out my third act breakthrough. Dun, dun, dun. At the very beginning of this project, I really delusionally, but really kind of confidently, set out a bunch of sticky notes, about eight, with different narrative themes on them. Everything that I thought we needed to tell a good story. There were things like genre and character development, all things that you've heard, and a couple other ones that we've ended up cutting. But always the penultimate sticky note was third act breakthrough. It's that moment near the end, before the resolution, where you realize, oh, our character's never going to be the same. They cannot go back to what they once were, and they are now ready for their resolution. It's not the climax, the big moment where the shit really hits the fan. I'm thinking of a moment much later where we see how the character is different since their shit hit their fan. Like Lizzie Bennet, for instance, my favorite protagonist, in Pride and Prejudice, I think the climax is when she gets Darcy's letter and her whole worldview is turned upside down. But this third act breakthrough comes later when Lady Catherine de Bourgh shows up unexpectedly and Lizzie refuses to promise that she has never nor will never be engaged to Mr. Darcy. In one moment, before everything resolves, we see how Lizzie is completely different than the character we met at the beginning of the book before she got that letter. I want one of these moments. Yeah. I want one. Of course. So luckily, or not so luckily, through sheer force of will and strong-armed machination, we have a lot of options for a third act breakthrough. Because since the very beginning of this, we have been sort of like Mm -hmm. orchestrating events in search of that third act breakthrough. Yeah, we've tried to sort of set you up in situations where you (laughs) could have a breakthrough. And I think one of these is going to be the right one for my story. We're going to figure it out today. Mm -hmm. You have a hunch already. I do. I have a spot for you in the script for Carson's hunch. <laughs> I have a hunch already, too. Which I am so excited to hear what it is. It has a lot of bullet points. I'm going to come at you like a wave. Oh, gosh. So here are the questions for this episode. What does it take to get that emotional third act breakthrough? Is Carson more right about what the breakthrough for my story is, or am I? And did we get it? And did we get it? I hope we did. Welcome to Untitled Dad Project, Chapter 7, The Third Act Breakthrough.
Okay, the first approach we took for this third act breakthrough was to facilitate a morning experience because I had, at the beginning of this, had such a hard time accessing any kind of grief or mourning. It's obviously not the case anymore. From the pit onwards, there's been a lot of grief. But for a while, that was a challenge. And there are a lot of really beautiful mourning traditions across cultures that are designed to either bring sobriety and starkness in your life or like wailing and anger in your life. The mourning tradition that I was raised with was the Southern Evangelical casserole drop-off, which is organized food drop-off, usually by the woman who takes care of things in your community. Yeah, the gesture is like, let me come to you and bring food, this thing that is necessary for your life that you don't have to worry about right now. Which I think was really smart of us because it's like a metaphor, like legitimizing the fact that I had a gaping hole and letting someone provide a material need to to help fill that hole. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you are the woman in my community who gets things done. <laughs> so you organized a meal train for me. Yeah, I like went on Facebook and posted this meal train and invited anyone who was in Janielle's life, anyone who wanted to support her in any way through this grieving time to come on these three specific days and bring her food. The first person who came to my house to surprise me was a theater colleague who I was so touched would volunteer to drop off food to help me grieve. He's just like a lovely guy that I've done some shows with. Okay. This is a little awkward. Hi! <gasps> Sean! Hi! Oh my goodness! Oh, how lovely. You have a back. Is that a crock pot? It is a... He had made his favorite traditional Filipino comfort food dish, and it was delicious. It took him hours to make it. And yes! I, it was so good, I too. was so moved by that. I was supposed to let people just go, like drop off food, comfort me, and leave. But instead, I had him sit down, and we started talking about why he signed up for this. And he said that I was just always up to cool stuff, and he wanted to support it. I just thought, wow, this is like a really interesting kind of setup and event you guys are putting together. So I just <laughs> want to—I always want to be part of the uh, John Yell events. They're always—they're <laughs> they're always the thing to do. Which is incredibly sweet. But then all of a sudden, I felt this pressure to perform and make sure that this food drop-off was a cool experience for him. Hmm. Which is not grieving. No. That is not grieving. And that's not at all what he was saying. It's just what my brain did. Like, he had volunteered to drop off food for me. No one was making him do this. Like, he voluntarily signed up for this. And yet I thought I had to keep my end of some deal and had to make this entertaining for him. So I'm realizing it is really easy for what's supposed to be grieving and accepting care to then turn into the performance of grief. Or rather, it's very easy for me to turn what is supposed to be grieving and care into the performance of grief, which feels like in setting out for a breakthrough, I actually did the opposite. I like straight up regressed to performance avoidance Jan, who's not letting the pain in and instead can tap dance. So many thanks to Sean for the support and the warm meal. There was no recipe delicious enough to thwart my superpower of avoiding vulnerability and receiving care. But I got a second shot at my breakthrough. The next person who came was a friend who I was kind of close with at the time, but not super close with, who had really thoughtfully put together a giant meal that incorporated every single food that he'd heard me mention that I liked. Just forever. At at any point in your friendship, if you had mentioned something you liked, he had remembered it. Yeah. It's astonishing. Um, The only things I've ever heard you talk about repeatedly were French fries and pizza. So... (laughs) I'm a child. Yeah. Uh, I got some fries. They're beautiful. Yeah. 
from so Cisa New York. And then I felt like I had to make one thing for this to be a real, a real thing. So uh, hence some, oh my God, some like kale casserole. This is the real comfort food. Thank you. And then I too invited him to like sit down and like stay and have a full conversation just like I did with Sean. Because I think my brain thinks that if someone's doing something nice for me, I have to perform it and entertain them to thank them for it. Again, that's not grieving. I don't know what's wrong with me. Actually, I do. I fall into the trap of performance because it's my daddy issue. Hashtag daddy issues. This is like, you've essentially assembled like a buffet. I think comfort food, that's the, that's the like southern thing, right? People just bring tons of food. Yeah. Did I, I misinterpret it? No, that's exactly right. But I like the arrangement. Food. It's like yeah. a buffet of like, of like just different well, comforting things. Well, you need things. a vegetable and you need a meat and then you need a starch. There was just so much food that he brought, like three or four meals worth, and it was so sweet. But here's the thing. This friend and I have talked since about, at the time, how he had a big crush on me. And I wasn't interested in being more than just his friend, which was really coloring my experience of it, because I felt really self-conscious about the intimacy of receiving care in a grieving ritual. Like, I was asking myself questions, like, kind of in the back of my head anxiously, like, is like receiving care and comfort from somebody who would like more intimacy from you than you kind of want to give them? Like, is that okay? And 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 I don't want to lead him on. Is like accepting someone's kale casserole leading the... Ugh. Do you know what I mean? Just a lot of complicated feelings. So instead of a breakthrough of receiving care, again, another thing got in the way, which is um, I feel nervous and weird. And I don't know where this care is coming from, so I'm going to try to control the situation, you know, keeping the borders of our intimacy levels intact as well as, like, straight-up illegitimizing the care that was being given to me. It doesn't count, right, because he might, like, like you, whatever. So instead of a breakthrough, I fell prey to my two superpowers. No, my two super weaknesses, my nemeses, illegitimacy and trying to control. But I had a third shot at my breakthrough of grieving and letting care in, which was my friend Catherine, who lives in Chicago, so she had a pizza delivered. This side of ranch. Thank you so much. Have you had on your ranch before? I take it. No, I. This was ordered for me. Oh, okay. Someone is sweet and knows me. Okay. Um, yeah. And she included a note with it. There are some people who, when faced with sad events in their lives, camp out on the couch, sleep a lot, and order delivery. Others pour themselves into their work, other people, or other busy distractions. I know which box you would be filed into, and while I admire your resilience and tough spirit. Please give yourself permission to watch a movie. I recommend When Harry Met Sally or the Disney Robin Hood with the most attractive fox I have ever beheld. Sink to the couch and eat this pizza tonight. There is indeed work to be done, but you'll do it. You've already begun. Love, Catherine. And then there was nothing else to do or perform. And Carson, you left. Yeah, I packed up the mics and went home. And I just sat there in the quiet with my pizza, and I just felt cared for. And there was logistically no way for me to sabotage my own grieving experience by performing or entertaining. I just ate and I did nothing, and I felt cared for. And it was just right. Which feels like a breakthrough, but I don't think it's the third act breakthrough. I think it is a hard-won battle or breakthrough that's in like the first or the second act it's going to be hard for you to be vulnerable and to accept care and legitimize your own grief we're going to wage you in gently with this pizza 
but you're going to need a lot more of that to get to your climax. So let's call it like a first act breakthrough. Yeah. Next, I thought I could maybe devise a new grieving ritual for myself. So I turned to my artist colleague, Alexandra Hernandez, who is very cool and has some experience partnering her art with her grieving tradition in a really innovative way. So my name is Alexandra Hernandez. I am an artist of many different sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, I'm primarily focused in learning more and dancing uh, traditional Mexican folk dance. Alexandra drew from the grieving traditions within her Mexican heritage, as well as her dance training, to facilitate this very cool program that helps people of all different backgrounds grieve the loss of a loved one through the arts. Her team started with considering Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. And so there's a very beautiful quote that my friend used um, that said, when you die, it's only a pause button. And then every Dia de los Muertos, you get to come back and be reunited with your family. So it's just a pause. You're not leaving. It's just like you pause for a year and then you come back for two or three days. So in that way, um, we were trying to find different ways to really make this grief like physical and kind of a catharsis process where we were able to process it and make something specifically something very physical and then in the dance, something very physical with somebody else's body. A lot of the participants Alexandra was working with in this workshop didn't have a Mexican or Latin heritage. So her team first educated everyone on the history of Dia de los Muertos, and then they created their own activities that could respectfully encompass people of all kinds of heritages and help them physicalize their grief. They came up with a few things. The first was storytelling, making a ritual of sharing stories about the person they lost, including really vivid physical details. Two, they used dance. Choreographers and dancers created movement pieces based on the physicality of the grieving person and specific physical details that they shared about their deceased loved one. And then they had altars. So they made their own versions of an altar where they could remember their dead loved one aesthetically. Colors, objects, hobbies they loved, again, physicalizing. And I obviously didn't participate in this program, and I, of course, don't want to appropriate Dia de los Muertos, but my thought was, how could I, too, thoughtfully and creatively devise my own way to physicalize my grief or create my own kind of ritual or practice for myself? Yeah, I think definitely, you know, the telling of the story, and I think this is pro- this project is kind of amazing in that sense that you're, like, recording the stories, you know, your journey. And then one day, you're going to share this story, and it's just going to be a story that you share because you want somebody else to hold it rather than you having to hold it. That feels really beautiful and true and useful. But the only problem is, I tell her, I only have a couple stories that I just say on repeat. There's the Father's Day lunch where I gave him the Far Side Comics book, and then he mentioned offhand that he likes Zaps potato chips, which somehow my brain stored away for posterity. And that time when I was really little and he came over to our apartment and started reading to me my favorite strawberry shortcake book and then stopped because he said um, it wasn't educational enough. He thought it was really dumb. That's all I've got. You know, you you talked about telling the same story over and over again. Um, I think in the experience of just listening to stories, you never tell the same story over and over again, especially if it's just an orally Hmm. I think there's different things that you remember. There's different uh, things that seem important to you that day that you tell it. And so Hmm. I don't think you ever really tell the same story in that aspect. 
Then we consider or contemplate the idea of altars, which the idea of creating a kind of sculptural or visual representation of the person that you lost seems so beautiful to me. But altars as a thing feel really spiritually charged? Like in Dia de los Muertos, it definitely is. It's like a literal spiritual invitation for your deceased loved one to join you. And all kinds of spiritual invitations have come up a lot as a potential third act breakthrough from a lot of different people who have said, like, maybe you should go see a medium or, like, have some kind of seance or try to talk to your dad from the beyond. And all this freaks me out a ton. Not in the, like, woo-woo spiritual stuff freaks me out way, in the abandoned child kind of way, which is, okay, let's play this out. Let's set up the thing. Let's invite my dad to come. What happens if he doesn't show? And it's me and a medium and my dad is still rejecting me from the beyond. And me and whoever this person is have to decide, oh, well, you know, maybe it was just that something went wrong with the way we set it up, or face the fact that he's still rejecting me and still won't acknowledge me. That risk feels just far too high <laughs> to put myself out there. I don't think you necessarily need an altar to welcome somebody or to share that space with somebody. I think something as simple as like remembering the potato chips, you guys are already sharing space and sharing a mm. moment. Alex offers me a smaller way to physicalize or invite my dad character into my life. Some space that is less intense than an altar. An altar is very like, I'm ready to have like a conversation with you. I'm ready for you to sure. like get all up in my space. Like yeah. I'm ready for this, you know? Yeah, now that you mention it, it hadn't occurred to me how insanely intimate the altar is. Like, it, doesn't it kind of require intimacy to even yeah. make it? Like, intimacy is the barrier to entry for that process. Yeah, I, I think the intention of the altar is like, like, like let's do this. Like, let's, let's get out. up. Yeah, let's get in each other's faces and like. It's the equivalent of like. Or, may, or maybe like the spiritual version of like being able to walk over to someone's fridge and opening it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally that. Yeah. <laughs> So no altar, no need to get over my fear of making an altar because I couldn't even make one if I tried. I don't know my dad well enough. Alex left and we brainstormed smaller ways we could physicalize some kind of shared experience for my dad and I with some boundaries. I really like what you suggested about reading the book. Yeah. Because to me, it's, it's not really an invitation of him into your life. It's an acknowledgement that he exists and is maybe still affecting you and you sort of taking control. Yeah. Maybe I can read that book and eat Zap's potato chips. And what else? And Charlie said they used to smoke. They used to smoke. Maybe I could smoke some pot. Oh, my God. But I was still scared to do even small things like that because there's still an ask for his presence, which is still an invitation for rejection, which made me think of the last time I felt this way and got stuck. It's like, I just don't... <sighs> like, the reasons I didn't send the email are the reasons I can't just ask the spirit of my dad to come commune with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I guess then... How can we borrow from what the email could have been and use it for this experience? Or, or in a way that makes it less scary? I guess the way we can do that is by not asking anything of him. Mm. You don't have to show up. You don't have to do anything. You just have to receive this from me. Yeah. 
Let's take a break here to listen to some ads. And when we come back, a pot-smoking, book-reading, definitely not seance ceremony. So we did something. A not-quite-spirit-summoning seance. We weren't asking him to come to me. We were just creating a space for me to be with him through the objects and the memories that I do have. And I contend, Karsten McCain, that this is the third act breakthrough. I think it's the third act breakthrough because I walked into it with the intention to fulfill what I wish I had done in that email, which is to just say hi. No forgiveness, no letting him off the hook, no asks, no demands. Hi. I don't know how you're going to top this because I think that's pretty damn good. We'll see. We picked the perfect day, which was my birthday. My birth, his death, we're already in some kind of conversation on that day. Why not just take it a little further? Okay, so I need to set my intentions for this. Channeling Charlie and my dad, we decide I'm going to smoke pot for only the second time in my life, which is absolutely nuts. I, I, I too, am shocked by this. I went to theater school and just never got high. We can talk about it later. Okay. So how do I want to do this? Carson, you weren't there with me. I was doing this solo, but you left me with a bag. Yes. Inside that bag was a strawberry shortcake book, which was the original edition, Mm -hmm. a book of Farside comics, some Zaps potato chips, some locally sourced by someone other than me cannabis, and a field recorder. Armed with all of this, I sat down on my bed, ready to say hi to my dad on my birthday and find a breakthrough. So on my birthday today, um, a couple years ago, they found you. And you were gone. And we don't know where you are now. But I'm going to do some of this stuff and say hi. Okay, so I know you smoke pot. I'll do that first. Um, that's the hardest part for me logistically. My friend had given me instructions to hold the lighter at the tip of the joint for a while, so I did. Okay, so he said you hold it over the thing for a while. And that heats it. Apparently, I held the thing over it for uh, too long. A while didn't mean as long a while as I thought. Um, ah, shit! I oh, I broke off the tip. Is that okay? Oh no, that doesn't look good. So I decided to smoke it anyway, even though like the whole back end of it was blown open. But I didn't know if I was doing it right, so I tried once. It's like a herby. And then I tried it twice. (laughs) I think I did it right. I'm coughing. He said that was what was supposed to happen. And then inexplicably, I think I need to do it a third time. I really think I did this wrong. Determined to do this correctly, I go back for a fourth hit. (coughs) Oh, a lot of smoke came out of that. Okay, so then (coughs) do I just... (coughs) Oh, fuck. And then, what am I thinking? Oh God! I do it a fifth time. <laughs> Wait, I should do one more. Okay. <coughs> okay, no more. <coughs> yeah, that was too much. 
Okay, well, so far, not relaxing. <coughs> and then I dig into the bag of stuff that Carson had prepped for me. All right. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. I don't remember this book being this small. Strawberry Shortcake, Berry Best Friends. Okay, Dad, let's read. Friends sure make life a treat. I think I've got really high. Oh, my God. My head feels... My cheeks feel like they're buzzing. Oh, that was just the intro. Hi. Welcome to the very merry world of Strawberry Shortcake, a place where a group of friends and their faithful companions... So Strawberry Shortcake is a small but thick mini book. And on each of these pages, there is a different dessert-themed character. Apple Dumplin' can always lean on Tea Time Turtle. I'm on the lookout for a character that has blueberry or blue something in it, something berry, because I, I think I have the most distant memory of that being around the time where my dad stopped reading. The characters keep coming. Angel Cake overlooks the smell of souffle skunk, a.k.a. yikes a skunk. And the characters keep coming. Huckleberry Pie loves to be lazy with his buddy, Pupcake. Um, so at this point, I'm on page 15 of this tiny little book, and um, I, it does feel a little tedious. So I might have been right about that. Um, I keep reading, and around page, like, 20-something, the characters start going on little adventures. Friends stop to window shop. This is Striper Shortcake and a bunch of other people. Ugh. Okay, it looks like twins. Oh, they're a lemon and a lime. I, we didn't meet them earlier. You want to make sure I have a really clear picture of what's happening. I can't tell you how palpably I could not not give you a one-sentence description of each dessert baby's adventure. It was my cross to bear. She has a giant cake, and she's putting a strawberry on top of it. Buddies love unexpected treats. Strawberry shortcake is taking cookies. I don't know who the fuck that is. That is... It's a boy I have never... We have not met this boy yet. Face feels weird. Strawberry shortcake and mint tulip stop to smell the flowers. This I'm on page 62 of a mini book. This is I can okay. Okay, I can see why you didn't like this book. Cause it's really very tedious. Like it's so long. I try to endure, but I am so high. <laughs> Do you think blueberry pie and hickleberry pie? pie are related or married or they're just the same substance i do they is last name pie both of their last names or are they just both fans of pie it's like i'm here and i'm imagining carson listening to me talk later at the same time at this point kitty cat it just becomes an endurance game 106 good friends are always there to talk lemon custard girl and she has like a little frog how is this not done he wouldn't have been okay so dad if you're here you would be reading this how long has this been a really long time it's so long how how could you have finished this book this is gonna be like a moment where i cried and was like angry and was like why couldn't you have just accepted me for what but instead i'm just like you know what i get it (laughs) This is not a great book. There are probably other books, more educational books. Like, I kind of 
understand why you would rather not read this one. I mean, you could have sucked it up. I think that's the, I think that's the gist of this whole thing is like, I understand how you could have done this as a human. I get it. Also, you could have sucked it up. That to me, I think is the first real breakthrough of this. It's just a little bit of understanding for my dad character as I revisit the book that he never finished reading to me. Both, you could have tried harder, just sucked it up and read me something and been kind. Also, I understand. Like, I get it. Yeah, this is a this is a real moment where you're able to hold space for both. Yes. I still don't even think this is the f- true breakthrough. Hmm. This is the precursor to the breakthrough. Ooh, show me more. Okay, I finally finished the book, like 100-something pages long, but I can't figure out where the blueberry section is that my dad quit. Blueberry, where was that? On page 13, no, 14, of this 112, 126-page mini book, you didn't even go, (laughs) oh my god, that means you read for like four, four characters at the top, and then you just were like, fuck it. That's so horrible. You didn't even know it wasn't going to get better. You just quit. (laughs) Well, I read it to myself. Now I know that Strawberry Shortcake has the very best of friends. Spoiler alert. They were the very best friends. This I like. I don't know if it's a breakthrough. I like it because it feels like the resentment of somebody that you know a little. Like it doesn't feel like a, a... deep expression of anger and abandonment. It feels like a, oh, fuck you. <laughs> you. <laughs> and the things that you do. I don't know. It feels like a resentment of familiarity. Yeah. It feels like something you could say to someone you know. Yeah. It's nice. And then I remembered there's more stuff in the bag. Okay. Oh, the chips. The Zaps potato chips. Okay. The far side comics, I forgot we got the far side. This is the exact one. It's the one with the um um water buffalo looking, you know, water buffalo. Um I get oh it's a water buffalo. These are the Zaps Voodoo chips, which are the um chips that the first boy I ever dated I was like, those are amazing. Zaps are so good. And I was like, uh oh. And then person left me. New Orleans pedal style regular flavor. Regular. To balance out the spicy. That's so sweet. Oh my god. I'm just picturing her sitting there. Well, this is how much people love me. It's like, yeah, okay, so my dad wasn't there. This is how much someone loves me. Someone loves me enough to produce a podcast with me and signed on to do it when it it was just gonna be us. Like no help. And then here we are, and she's sitting at her computer. And she just has a list of details that I remember of my dad. And then, like, takes the time to think, like, I'm going to get her these spicy, fun ones that I remember her saying are the flavor that her first boyfriend then liked. And, you know, I'm also going to get her another giant bag of the regular flavor in case she needs to balance them out from each other because I want to make sure she has a comfortable experience. Like, that is how much I am loved. Wow. Like, that is how much love is in my life. If this is, like, the club, the, like, the new story of my life, uh, 
being somebody who doesn't have, has a lot of grief and has a lot of sadness about this and never gets answers, but gets to make things and has people who love her this much just everywhere. Wow. That I think is my big breakthrough. The way it felt, I remember, was I was hovering outside my body, and I was aware of you at your computer loving me, and everybody who has ever touched this project and ever will touch this project and ever has touched this project, and everyone in my life, and I was just for a moment completely surrounded in love. While high out of my mind, which I know is part of it, but the realization I think still stands. So that's what I think the emotional breakthrough is, is... Yes, you didn't have one kind, our our character realizing, yes, you didn't have one kind of love, but you have so much more of this other kind of love. That's a great break. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It is. I really, I, yeah, I really like that. So top that, huh? Well. You love me a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) I have to top top my own love. (laughs) I just think the like, What feels beautifully underwhelming now was not obvious to me then. And somehow they don't cancel each other out. You know, like the math isn't that all of your ad eliminates all of, fills in all of that lack. It's just, they're both there. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Like, the great love you're surrounded by doesn't invalidate the great pain. Yeah. But by looking at the great pain, you were also able to look at the great love. Yeah. Let's take another ad break here, and when we come back, I will share what I think the third act breakthrough really is. Okay, Kitty Cat. We're here. You're up. Awesome. Okay. I gave you a brilliant defense for what I think is the emotional breakthrough. You think it's something else? I do. So uh, after hearing your third act breakthrough, there's a careful distinction I want to make, which is— Oh, no. I feel like I'm in trouble. No. Oh, but you're about to therapy mind jujitsu me. No, no, I'm not. Give me a distinction. Um, So I really enjoyed your breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, and think it is a really valid one. And I want to say I agree that I think that was the third act breakthrough for Jan character. Okay. What I want to oh my God. give you <laughs> to blow my mind is a third act breakthrough for Janielle, creator, person <laughs> in the booth with me now. Okay. I can already tell you're right. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> well, you, know, you know what you're going to show me? It's an interruption from last episode. Yeah. But first, so... We were recording the pre-brief for episode six, talking about your dad's hubris, which is, if you can't do something perfect, you won't do it at all. And you took this tangent. I also feel like this whole thing has been about me trying to tell my own story. 
And at the end of this, I'll know my story. I'll finally figure out my story. And I'm thinking my story is not going to be very perfect. Hmm. Like this thing we've been building towards, you know? I think I'll figure out my story and I'll figure out how to find my meaningful resolution. I'm starting to feel more resolved. So that feels like a good sign. Hey, that's huge. I don't know what it is that's done it. I, I think I need to get more precise about it, but I'm starting to feel more resolved. Um, I'm not going to stick the landing perfectly. My own story is not going to be perfect. But it could be really good. Or it could be a little good. It could be just a little good. And if it's putting some good out there in the world, doing it a little good is better than doing it, wanting to do it perfectly and never doing it. So that is what you said. Right after this, I echo back to you a sentiment that you had that we talked about and was even in an earlier version of episode one, which was you want to make something that, you know, might not be everybody's cup of tea, but at least 10 people really love and feel less alone. Yes. And I argue in this moment in the episode six pre-brief that you've already done that. I think your good enough story has already made 10 people feel less alone. Like right here, sitting in this booth, I think you've Before already... anyone's ever heard anything? Yeah. Think about every person who's transcribed an interview. Think about every person who has been in an interview with you. Oh, my God. Like, let's think about Taylor Ann, right? Mm. We cut this whole piece that is her talking about her own story and the way that genre has shown up in her story. And she was able to share with you a time that was really difficult in her life. And I'm sure she feels less alone because you bore witness to that part of her story. And I think that this project is going to be less about the culmination in a really good story and more about the culmination on all the stories that you got to bear witness to and all the people who bore witness to your story. How so? We have done so many interviews with so many people, and nearly all of them have a point where someone who is not you reciprocates your vulnerability with their own. Oh. Father Yoder sharing his vulnerabilities around performing this funeral, not only as a new priest, but as somebody who, like, did not know your father's eternal fate. Hmm. Peter being so vulnerable about his own choices and how he can empathize with your dad. Mm. Dr. Don being vulnerable about his own adoption story. Like every step along the way you have given of yourself and said, can you help me look at my story? And someone has like offered another piece of their story back to you. As we're figuring out what your story might be and the pieces of it that are good enough, Like, even your incomplete story has been good enough so that people feel like they can be vulnerable and engage with it. Even the story that you don't know how to put words to has been enough so far. So is that, you think that's my resolution? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's the resolution. But what I do know is when we're sitting here right now talking about, like, is your story good enough— I think your incomplete story was good enough. Your incomplete story was enough that other people felt less alone because they you feel like shared their it. story is incomplete too. Yes. Huh. 
And so whatever we come to at the end of this, good enough will be good enough. Huh. So it's like there's like a fail-safe in place, which is (laughs) as long as I don't pretend that something's more complete than it is, as long as I lean into the much more vulnerable truth, and I don't try to make it more perfect to offset my shame, if I do that, whatever I decide my story is at the end of this will be good. Yeah. And you won't have tricked us. Yeah. Which you said was your fear. Yeah. Okay. There's something that I, there's some math that I'm, I'm just now, there's some algorithm that I'm considering for the first time, which is why I'm so like belaboring this point. Like, if not perfection, but instead vulnerable and honest, even incomplete equals good. And if you try to do it the perfect way, you'll lose what makes it good, which is the fact that we can all connect with an imperfect story. Hmm. Okay. Because I wanted to resist, I want to resist the idea that that this has to have a happy ending. And at the end of this, I have to have, I have to be glad that my dad died. No, no, no. That's the thing that feels like the false thing, which is like, oh my God, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm my, I'm so glad my dad died because now, and then montage of all the things that have cool conversations we've had over the past four years. Otherwise, yeah. this never would have happened. Like that doesn't feel right. No, I don't, and I don't think that's true. I think what's true is this horrible thing happened to you, and nobody wishes it would have happened. And I don't think any of us at any point ever will say, "I'm glad your dad died." Nobody. However, in these interviews, when you let your own pain in to the interview, other people feel invited to let their pain in as well. And while I wouldn't say, like, look at all the good that's come out of this pain, I would say, oh, my gosh, look at all the people who were able to bear witness to each other's stories via this thing that we would all have chosen not to happen. That's still—bear with me. That still sounds good, though. A good thing happened even though a bad thing happened. Yes, and I think that is true. The thing that I think is also true is, and if we could have had it the other way, we would have preferred it. Yeah, that's, but that's, I don't, ugh. I've never wanted to say, you know, and in the end, it was all worth it. But what you just described to me sounds like a very worthwhile thing to come from a bad thing. I don't think I'll ever understand suffering and happiness as concepts because they feel so connected and pain and growth are so connected. And I don't want to, I don't think that all pain has to be redemptive. And yet somehow we keep redeeming it, which is incredible to me and feels like a miracle. Yeah. Like you've gone through some trauma and you're, without that, I don't know that you would be the kind of person right now who is so interested and dedicated and so sacrificial about helping other people through their trauma. Hmm. Maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. And I would take your trauma away from you if in, a, in, a heart, in an instant if I could. But I can't deny the fact that you've spun that shit into some gold. 
is spinning shit into gold a happy ending? Because if so, I might accidentally have a happy ending by not trying to find a happy ending. But are but like ah! no, but not. But here's the thing: not everyone's happy. No. And so I don't know. Like, is a happy ending everyone's happy, or is a happy ending I am more connected? Because if a happy ending is I am more connected to the world around me and I feel more seen, then yeah, you have a happy ending. By not trying to find a happy ending, I accidentally might be ending up towards one. Yeah. What in the world? But I don't think you're happy. Yeah. Ah. Huh. I, I feel like this is probably something philosophers and theologians have talked about a lot, which is like the redemptive nature of pain. Mm-hmm. This feels like some sort of insane failsafe in like humanity. Doesn't it? I mean, that we, when we lean into our pain and acknowledge it and let other people into it and are vulnerable with it, like, it helps us all feel more connected. So we, and we, that we yeah, tend towards redeeming ourselves. Yeah. If we do our work. Yeah. Like, that's the thing Jan in the pit couldn't fathom. She's like, this is never going to be a, ha- like. No, but, but she ending. had to be in the pit to be here. To be able to redeem it. Yeah, because if she didn't walk through the horrible pain, then she would have kept ignoring it and pretending like it wasn't there. And she never would have gotten to the vulnerability of being able to share and let other people in. Yeah. Doesn't that feel like a trick? A great one? I mean, it does. That the way through the pain connects you to more people? That even the shittiest things that happen to you, that you would take away, that you could still want to take them away in a heartbeat, and also they might set you on a path where other beautiful things might grow? Yeah. 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 I it, mean, yes, you're you're it a It feels person. like a magic trick. It does it does feel like a magic trick. To me, um just to be like really vulnerable, like you live in a space where you deny pain. I live in a space where I am like constantly overwhelmed by pain and if I let myself live in my like most default state, I am like, pain is everywhere, and I don't know why the world exists or why I exist. And if this, if this magic trick didn't exist, I don't know why we'd live. I don't know why human beings would live in the world. Like, why would we risk life? But for? But for, like, the fact that... Redemption? You could connect. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I'd want to do it. (laughs) And if I didn't believe that, like, even an incomplete story could matter to somebody, like, and somebody out there is going to feel less alone, even if it's just the person who listens and transcribes it, because at one point in their life, they've probably been in the pit. (laughs) And if we stopped today and you were like, I can't do this anymore... I'd be sad, but also I'd be like, we already did it. (laughs) Oh no, Carson! (laughs) The project is like, we got to the end and it, well, no, we're not at the end. We still have to do, we're getting to the end and realizing like, the real redemption is the project all along. Listen, I know when you Uh, said the thing, uh, it was like, girl has pain. Feels better. What was it? Art. I said, it was after our conversation with Dr. Dodd, and I said, and he was like, you know, art is so therapeutic. I was like, I know. I'm secretly afraid that the whole point of this project is like, girl, feel pain, make art feel better. Listen, 
this is, I think, the thing is I'm like, oh, God, are we going to have, like, a dumb ending? But I'm like, what's a dumb ending? A but, dumb ending is the false ending. The du- The bad ending is the false ending. Yeah, and if our story is <sighs> sad girl make art feel better, plus the real lesson was the project all along, <laughs> you know? Like, the real story was inside us. Like, that's so silly and also like I'm sitting here crying because the real thing is the project all along Uh. (laughs) wow (laughs) wow yeah that's why I don't I don't think that it's the same thing as a happy ending because we're sad Hmm. we're sad comma and even still colon beauty beauty anyways anyways here's some beauty that bad thing happened also here's a bunch of beauty wow what a thing it is to be alive and moving forward in time what a thing Yeah, what a miracle. <laughs> so, you're so right. <laughs> so, if I had to say what the third act breakthrough is, I do think you're right. I think past Janielle needed the pot smoking third act breakthrough. To grieve her dad. And I think Janielle Ryder, creator, needed this third act breakthrough to make this podcast. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Meta man. Yeah. You're so right. And thank you for holding a space for me to catch up to what you knew to be true and feel all the feelings I needed to feel in order to get to a place where I know I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be fine. And this will always hurt. And I have a story. And I know who I am. (laughs) I'm a person who has some regular pain. (laughs) Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for letting me catch up over four years. (sighs) I mean, I still have to write my story, though. (laughs) sure I'm gonna write it down I'm gonna give it a beginning and a middle and an end and I'm gonna fuss over all the words in the middle but the the feeling that I don't know who I am don't know what this has been about that has resolved isn't that nuts that's a big deal yeah (sighs) wow What a world. (laughs) What a thing it is to be alive moving forward in time. (laughs) Ah, yes. Is that our merch? Put that on a t-shirt. Oh, oh, I had one more that could have been a potential breakthrough. Oh, my God. Just just listen. Just give it a shot. Give it a shot. I know we feel feel great about that breakthrough. I just was another, like, metaphor revisited. I was in Paris to go see about a boy who is none other than the boy who brought me the potluck food of everything I've ever liked, including the kale casserole. 
It worked. It worked. The kale casserole worked, apparently. It just took, like, several years later, because it takes me a while to trust men. Hashtag daddy issues. So I end up in Paris, and I have that lovely full circle of this nice boy who tried to help me grieve, as well as another metaphor revisited. So I decided to go to Paris, and I am outside a macaron shop, the otherwise known as macaroons, when I am uncultured swine in America. But here I am in France, and I'm getting macarons. And I got like six different flavors and I'm not saving them for some better future version of myself that will enjoy them. I'm having them now because you aren't guaranteed things in life. How is that for full circle? This one's rose and lychee. Holy smokes, it's good. And this one's passion fruit and rhubarb, which is like, what's rhubarb? I don't care. It is so good with passion fruit. Mm, so good. So delicious. I don't know. I'm happy I'm alive. I'm happy I get to eat things that are yummy and I don't save them. Yeah. That's all. Just a nice full circle moment. For free. Oh, I'm gonna get run over. I'm jaywalking. The American street jaywalks. So entitled. Okay. Bye, kitty cat. I love you a lot. on Untitled Dad Project, Jan throws a funeral for Chapter 8, Finale. I want to tell you a story. It's the story of my dad character. And it's my story. After that, a funeral. But first, we'll hear from two very important people. A death educator named Jean. Maybe this is the way you get to know your dad now. And a follow-up with mom character. I guess for me, it was a miracle. And that was my story, but it has to be your story. We'll see you then. 
Untitled Dad Project is co-hosted by me, Janielle Kastner, and Carson McCain. Take a second and think of one person you think would really resonate with Untitled Dad Project and shoot us their way. We would love to have them on board for the finale. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. We read every single one. Seriously, we love them. And we'd love to hear your third act breakthroughs. Tell us at Untitled Dad Project on Insta or email untitleddadproject at spokemedia.io. Your story matters. Untitled Dad Project is a Spoke Media production. We're produced by Carson McCain with associate producer Kelly Kolf, Jenna Hannum, and sweet baby intern Lauren Floyd. Special thanks for the food, Sean Gann, and Catherine Bourne, and Potluck Boy. And thank you, Alexandra Hernandez, for putting your insights, art, and light into the world. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett, and our head of post-production is Will Short. The music you heard today was composed by Rat Rios. Our executive producers are Aliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds. And thank you for listening. It means the world.